Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Behind Company Lines podcast. Today, we have Tom Medima, founder and CEO of Bubbles. Bubbles lets you quickly start a conversation with anyone by dropping a comment on anything you see on your screen and sharing a private link to start that conversation in the context of what you see. Tom, it's so exciting to chat with you and, and not only about your founder journey, and, and I know you've built companies and, and helped build companies not only in the U.S., but abroad as well in the Netherlands. And it, it's just so fascinating to think about the wealth of experience founders in your position have because you can see different markets, see different trends, and then you come with an innovative product that I think a lot of times, especially for Bubbles, I'm excited about how it enables teams to communicate kind of async when they have time, when they're outside of priorities, making them extremely, extremely productive and, and efficient kind of process. So before we get into all that with Bubbles and, and the current company, what were you doing before you started Bubbles? Yes, thanks, Julian. Awesome to be here. Love the title as well, Behind Company Lines. Wish I knew about you guys a couple of years ago. Yeah, so before Bubbles, I was living in the Netherlands in Amsterdam, and I was fortunate to be introduced to one of the former co-founders of HelloFresh. They were actually looking to start a new company, the flower delivery app. We were very ambitious. We were looking to turn this offline flower industry into an online industry of multiple billion dollars. With that experience of, of Patrick as his name, I was able to really learn a lot and, and help them scale the company from zero to 150 employees. I was the CTO there. And so I had to hire an engineering team from, from zero to one, really, as well. Learn how to motivate them, work yeah. on our engineering stack and so on. During that time as well, I was kind of forced to hire remotely. The, Nether the Netherlands is a small country. We were kind of scrappy in terms of budget. And so it was back in 2014 where we started to hire remotely and really started to experience a lot of the difficulties around remote work. How do you convey your yeah. thoughts and ideas remotely? We'll get to this, but you can see, I guess, why it started to itch and why I wanted to solve for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so curious because a lot of times, I, I guess this isn't really talked about, but how did you end up meeting your, your co-founder back at your, your previous company? And, and how were you kind of able to kind of make that connection? It's funny, co-founder relationships are always interesting. They always happen out of just happenstance a lot of times. I'm, I'm curious, how, how did you meet your co-founder? Yeah, so technically I was a founding CTO there, but mm -hmm. what is thing there is that I think it's really all about building your network, making sure that you, you work with a lot of smart people, you can learn from them. And so in my case, I was actually working at a startup in all the way in Bangkok. There were a group of ex-Rocket Internet founders who were starting companies in Southeast Asia. They were then asked the question by, by Patrick, do you know anyone who might be a good CTO for us? And I was then introduced to them. So flew to, wow. to Amsterdam, had a coffee with them. And before you know it, you are starting this company with nothing more but an idea. Yeah. 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 It's so funny. It's it, sometimes it, it takes just that interaction for a lot of co-founder relationships to develop. And then, and then you kind of off to the races and thinking about scaling a team from, from zero to one is one thing, but also from one to 10 and, and beyond to a hundred employees. Talk about the growing pains of, of scaling specifically an engineering team. A lot of times you're focusing on getting your MVP up and running, but then, then you're faced with customer feedback, different things that you could potentially invest in, in terms of feature building or, or maybe even a whole new version of the application. But how do you do that? Not only thinking about the, the, the scaling of what you're building, but also choosing the right people to, to build along with you. 
Yes. So one, learn to say no. I think <laughs> as, as important as it is to be able to build things, you, it's maybe even more important to be able to say no to building things. And so if you are able to do that and then realize what is that one thing that I really need to get done, that's really going to be our differentiator, then you need to assemble a team around that. And that team needs to be motivated to build that. Right. And so it's a lot about, I think upfront hiring the right people rather than hiring people and then trying to motivate them. It's a lot harder. I would say hiring remotely seems like a table stakes nowadays. Yeah. It's, it's just, if you, if you only hire locally, you're just not going to get the, the kind of talent that you could get if you broaden your, your horizon. Uh, but then you're going to face issues around remote work as well. Right. So think about remote culture, think about are, are these folks, people who uh, are excited about remote work, who want to work remotely and folks that you think you can trust because you're potentially not going to have as much visibility as you would have in an yeah. office environment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you can think about kind of the, the remote culture for founders who are thinking about or, or are working with remote teams, what are some ways that you not kind of uh, reinforce, I guess, the culture and reinforce is kind of a harsh word, but I guess keep people kind of in, in the right, in the right direction with, with understanding where the company is going versus getting lost in tasks and, and just going about your day, kind of seemingly completing things, but how do you reinforce culture as, as a founder? What are some strategies that you use? Yeah, so I think culture is, is really based on what you do more so than what you say. And so, for example, your leadership team should really be remote too. I don't think you should have a local office and then a couple of remote people. I think that would be really difficult, at least in terms of making the remote folks feel as, as, as much part of the team. And so that's one. You should really be remote, in, in my opinion, if you are going remote. And then second, like I said, make sure that you hire people who are actually willing to be remote because it, it's a choice. And uh, I think yeah. that avoids a lot of trouble down the line. Third, we do do local, let's say offsites in, in this, every, every quarter or so we'll fly to the same location and spend a couple of days, not just working together, but really building a relationship. Yeah. And so that has really helped us at Bubbles. But also you, you do need to think about how are you actually going to execute remotely yeah. because many, many startups fail because they don't have product market fit, but I've also seen many startups fail because they just couldn't execute. You have limited yeah. resources, limited time. Even if you have the right idea, you're, you're still going to have a very challenging job ahead of you. Yeah. If you are remote in many ways that can be amplified, especially in terms of how do you make sure that you're working on the right thing, that people are aligned, that there's visibility and that the, the assumptions that you might normally kind of figure out at, at the coffee machine or during lunch with your colleagues, that those assumptions are suddenly made explicit rather than implicit, mm -hmm. right? So use tools to do that. In our case, we were having a lot of issues with live video. So we were on, on Zoom a lot and that resulted in a situation where especially engineers were taken out of context and easily lost an hour, even before and after the call, because they had to try and get back into it. And so we're trying this kind of radical approach where we basically don't do live meetings except for a stand up in the morning. 
Yeah. And all of our other meetings are completely asynchronous. Of course, we use bubbles for that to, to be able to achieve that. Yeah. What if I were the original idea uh, you mentioned a remote, remote working culture was kind of a challenge and, and you know, not only is doing things where you're trying to zoom and, and everyone's trying to get maybe the idea of what's going on, but you know, in particular, what, what is part of the idea and, and why did you build the product the way you did in terms of screen sharing, but also having your, yourself on there versus just screen sharing and, and showing kind of a direction without having the personal component to it. What, what made you go, go in this direction? So it started with a personal frustration of something that should be trivial, which is just conveying your thoughts and ideas. Actually, I find it to be really difficult over email or Slack. And I've been in so many situations where in the end we're like, well, let's just jump on a call. And so we're going to repeat the whole thing again. And it takes so much time and so much trouble. And so it started with that, how do I make it easy to convey thoughts and ideas? And so I needed a rich medium, things like screen recording and so on. Yeah. Then I, there were already some tools out there that do things like screen recording, but I felt they were very lacking in terms of actually being able to go back and forth. They felt more like broadcasting tools rather yeah. than, <laughs> let's say, this kind of threaded conversation that you might be used to from something like email or Slack. And so yeah. I imagine Zoom and Slack having a baby. That's kind of what <laughs> I imagine as, as a solution to this problem. Yeah. And th- thinking about just like the, the, the storing of all the information and the data and how, how easily accessible from a customer standpoint, from a user standpoint, is it to go through and, and look at, say, a repository videos or, or, or connect it with a certain idea that you were working on? Because I feel like a lot of times we, we make these great products, we have founders, we'll make these great products, but it's the recall of those products that becomes a challenge to make sure that it's accessible. How did you think about building and designing something that not only you could use, you say, once to explain an idea or thought, but that you could reference and continue to be so dynamic? How did you, how did you think about building that? And also, how did you get people to stay on it? Because I know a lot of times people will see a cool new tool or, or uh, functionality, but it's, it's the retention of that to continue getting them back. That's, I think, the, the, the more challenging part. How did you think about building and how did you think about retaining people who were using the product? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we now have about a quarter million people, 50,000 people have used Bubbles and we've spent very little on marketing. So most of that comes from the way we've built the product by making sure that it has an inherent product loop. So you want to share a bubble because that's how you can start a conversation as well as by making that kind of first time experience very simple and mm-hmm. have a kind of have this experience this aha moment immediately. That's why we, we basically removed things like sign up the requirement to install something and so on. Now, in a way there's some tension there if your question around retention, because if you make it super low commitment for the user mm-hmm. to try your product, then they may not necessarily be committed, right? <laughs> And so the way we think about it is, well, let's focus first on having them experience a a great experience, but then give them, let's say, superpowers if they install something. In our case, that's a Chrome extension. I imagine in the future, that would be a native app, a mobile app, et cetera. And so we've seen that that works. Even people who who just experience the the web experience, even there, we see pretty good retention, but also when they then install the Chrome extension, I think retention, I think quadruples, if I, if I remember correctly, yeah. so basically tried to get them in the door 
and then find yeah. find ways to continue to be present. Yeah. Uh, one interesting tension as well is, are you going to ask them for their email address so that you can later on try to read? We've been very extreme on the side of not asking for emails and not really doing any nurture campaigns and so on. Uh, but we're slowly, slowly starting to experiment with that. Yeah. All yeah. the while though, keeping in mind that we, we must have we, we must have people experience that aha moment, knowing that there are a million other apps that are trying to get their attention. They don't have a lot of time during the day to suddenly try out a new tool. So keeping that friction really low, I think is, is, is most important. So if you go to usebubbles.com, you click on the main CTA, you can actually immediately start a recording. Uh, you don't need to install anything. It's, it's, it's completely web-based. If you don't have a good experience, you would likely want to install the Chrome extension because it will then allow you to more easily start these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you define, say, your, your business model? Are you kind of, is it like a gateway of, of features that you're limiting for free users? And then once you want access to them, you give them access. Is it a subscription model? How do you essentially think about balancing out that the commitment, getting people on board, getting traction, but then also finding a way to monetize because it it's difficult. You can do in so many ways, but it really depends on the customers and, and how they want to consume the product. How have you thought about mm-hmm. kind of in terms of monetizing the, the platform and ways that you can use it, the monetization, I mean, vehicle to say incentivize users to continue to mm-hmm. go back to the platform? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So we are quite ambitious in that I, I, I didn't like the way that remote workers were forced to work odd hours, um, yeah. try and adjust their schedule to other people. Actually, yeah. we did a survey with about 500 people and I think 30% or so on a daily basis had to work outside of working hours just to be able to accommodate for their, their teammates. Mm-hmm. 80% of them thought that many of their meetings actually were redundant and could have been done over asynchronous video or email, et cetera. So they're a really big problem. The challenge is if you, if you want to resolve, solve for really big problems, often you need to instill a behavioral change, right? You, you mm-hmm. want to show your users how, how they might do this differently. And that's di- difficult because they're, they're used to a certain workflow, certain ways of working. So first and foremost, I think you have to decide, yeah. are we going with a venture backed model? where you may not necessarily have to be profitable in the short run, but you're going for that really big vision and, and uh, VCs are helping you move towards that. Or are you going for a bootstrap model, in which case you're going to have to find something that is immediately obvious to the user in the sense that they will immediately want to pay for it. And you would potentially be okay with moving towards that vision much later on. With Bubbles, we've consciously been looking for investors who are really excited by that remote future. You could even say present, but this future where we're not just working remotely, but we've also adapted our ways of working to working remotely. And so really trying to be on the the frontier of that. That means that we don't necessarily have to be profitable, for example, this year or next year. But of course we do need to show things like willingness to pay because that ultimately validates product market fit, right? now. In addition to that, I, as a founder, believe that if we want to democratize this way of asynchronous working, 
a bottoms up model makes a lot more sense than a top down mm -hmm. model, just because we cast a wider net and we will basically have a lot more people collaborate asynchronously. And so a product first approach made sense for us, of course, monetizing, but in a way that it is very accessible to, let's say the, the individual, the freelancer who might be our early adopter, start sharing their clients. And then yeah. for those clients, those teams, they will want to pay because of a certain features that those teams. So in our yeah. case, we have a, a typical premium model. You can use bubbles for free. It's free forever. But if you need certain things like more granular access control, things that we expect primarily teams will need, who are serious about remote work, then you would want to upgrade. And it yeah. would only cost you $8 per month if you pay annually. Wow. Now, that's important because at the end of the day, to reach that kind of skill, we cannot hire enough salespeople right, to do that. And so we need our users to be advocates of bubbles. Right. And so creating a really good pre-plan is, 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 is an integral part of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems such a, like an intricate way to, to go about building because it kind of hinders on not knowing or knowing a lot about your user, but also testing a lot of different ways that might be, whether it's features or, or other incentives that allow users to stay on track with it. And then it's all this testing and, and getting all this information. And it, it, it seems like the more challenging model but like you said i think it long term it's a more effective model of, of building a product especially one that affects the individual consumer so much we had another founder that was talking about if the employees love, love it then the managers have to use it versus mm -hmm. the other way around if you close to the managers and then then their their employees are are um i guess requested or, or they're required to use it it's a little bit less sticky in that respect and you have a lot more friction. But tell us a little bit more about the traction. How many teams are using Bubbles? What's exciting about the growth you've seen so far and where are you, where are you headed in this year and what's exciting about this year's journey? Yeah, so this year is really big for us because we are actually we introducing our paid plan. So we've waited with that for a long while because we're really focused on can we, can we actually convince people to try asynchronous video and try to converse in asynchronous video where before maybe they were used to broadcasting. Can we convince them to go back and forth over, over videos? And yeah. so, uh, now that we feel that we've, we've cracked that, we are moving to the next step, which is our businesses willing to pay for this. And so currently in terms of active Users is about 30,000 people or so that actively use bubbles, that use it for team collaboration to replace meetings, eliminate meetings, et cetera. We're, we're happy with that to start, but of course this year will be really big for us where we'll want to grow significantly and, and also start to focus a little bit more on, on the SMB markets where previously we were in ours, very much used by startups, freelancers and, and, yeah. and uh, agencies. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges that Bubble Space is today? Today, I'd say one of the hardest things is, is trying to not build everything, but also the things that you do need to build to make sure that they both make impact, but that they also bring you closer to that global maxima, right? You, you don't necessarily want to dig a hole that you can't get out of. And a lot mm -hmm. of that is based on who, who are your current users versus who are your future users. And yeah. are the two compatible? Can you 
can you find a way to move from where you are now to, to that, you know, that, that, that platform that you're working yeah. on and, and vision. So that's really hard. You will always think that you need to hire more people. You always think that you need to hire more engineers, more designers, more product managers, et cetera. So that's never going to go away. But if, if you can make the right decisions in terms of what to do, what not to do, I think you will be really good at executing. And I think that really for a lot yeah. of startups, post product market fit is really their, their major challenge. Yeah. Yeah. If everything goes though, what's the long-term vision? So long-term vision is, is to literally kill the nine to five work days. So I want to see a world where life and work are in harmony. If you're, if, if, if the kids need some extra attention, that should be fine. If you need to do the laundry, that should be fine. If it's a great sunny day and you want to go to the beach, that should be fine. Your work shouldn't stipulate how you live, yeah. but at the same time, you should be able to be very productive and really move the needle for the company whenever and wherever. If you yeah. are, if you prefer to work on a Saturday, that should be up to you. This mm -hmm. idea of only working on specific days and specific times predefined by society, I think is, is something that we need to move away from. Now, we already see that remote work is suddenly being accepted. I think what you'll see next is that remote workflows will be accepted. And I think as a result, you'll see that suddenly there's a lot less, people will care a lot less about, okay, where do you work from and when do you work? As long yeah. as we, we see the work being done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always interested. I always like to start this next question. I call it my founder FAQ. So I'm going to give you a, a rapid fire question and we'll see where we go. So first question is what's particularly hard about your job? I'm, I'm the CFO, I'm the CPO, I'm the CMO and trying to balance all of that is, is really hard. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what strategies do you use in terms of finding that balance? Is it? And, and that you could give advice if another founder is, is in the similar position, wearing multiple hats, having different responsibilities, what's something that helps you stay on track that you would share with another founder? Two things. So every week, think about what are the three, four, five, six criticals that really need to get done. And then every mm -hmm. day, pick one of them and, and don't stop until it's done. Also, don't really do other things, right? So you will have to focus and you will be able to you have to be able to say no to to the things that are not as critical. Second, I like to take a couple of hours each week where I block um, basically a, a, a brainstorm session for myself, literally with a whiteboard. I'll, I'll think about where do I want to be? Where are we? No. Just keep redrawing that kind of path because even though you might have done that already a, a month ago, a week later, that path might have changed radically. Yeah. And you might also catch yourself not necessarily following the path, right? So yeah. you, can, you can make a plan, but it's, it's hard to stay on track. And so yeah. by doing that for a couple of hours a week, I think I'm able to make those kinds of decisions and really do the more impactful work. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's early in your career or now, what books or people have influenced you the most? So I'm mostly influenced by people that I work with very closely or close friends of mine, more so than books. You know, I mentioned Patrick Hudenkamp. He was the one of co-founders of HelloFresh, mm -hmm. amazing person. He's actually the, the one who's, um, taught me to, 
to think about a dream state and then reverse engineer it. So really first principle approach of trying to break something down and then creating an actual plan and then executing very tightly. Now, the other person is a very good friend of mine. He's a CEO of Flyer Labs, a very successful company. He has taught me not just to plan ahead, but to really seize every opportunity that comes your way, even if it wasn't in your plan and to basically readjust that plan all yeah. the time while still moving towards that, that goal that you have in mind, right? So you don't want to be changing direction every day. That's going to result in you not really achieving any of these goals, but you yeah. do want to, um, realize that the environment and the opportunities change every day. And so to be able to get to that goal, you may have to actually do different things than you had originally anticipated. So yeah. those two combined and those two people, I think have really influenced me uh, in executing well. Lastly, I'm a software engineer. Originally I've, I've always been quite technical and product minded. So there's one book that I, I did appreciate in, in terms of becoming a, a leader of, of a team and, and at some point having a, a company of, of 150 employees, Yeah, which was, I think it's called the 15 commitments of, of conscious leadership or 14 commitments of conscious leadership. <laughs> um, I think it's a great book for really being conscious about how you lead and being aware of that there's a certain power dynamic in the position that you Bill and being aware of that helps you, I think, present yourself in a way that will, will help your, your team feel motivated and really yeah. do their, their best efforts. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're coming to the close of the episode now, and I do want to give you a chance to let us know your websites, your LinkedIn's, but before we do that, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I did or that you would have liked to answer? You know, as a, as a founder, you're going to get a lot of advice from all kinds of people. And yeah. To be honest, sometimes all that advice is more noise than it is helpful. <laughs> and so really, I would say stick to not necessarily your plan, but, but remember your, over, your higher level strategy and then yeah. opportunistically keep redefining your plan. If the feedback you get from folks is, is related to that and actually helpful, then act on it, but don't change your approach. It's your company. Um, there's a reason why it's your company and not theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I love that advice piece because you're bombarded by so many people, even people in your inner circle. But I, I, I agree. It's, it told me once it's like, keep, keep the information tight enough so that it doesn't impact your day-to-day -day workflow, but spread the idea, get, get all, all the necessary pieces or feedback that you but trust yourself. But it, at the end of the day, it's, it's trusting yourself. Last little bit is where can we find, where can the audience find Bubbles? Where can we support you as a founder? Tell us all your LinkedIn's, your, your, your websites. Where can we start using the product and, and even be a supporter of you as a founder? Yeah, go to usebubbles.com. It won't take you more than five minutes to really experience it. So try to, to, to make some time for that. I think it will really help you eliminate a lot of live meetings. It will help you save a lot of time. So it's usebubbles.com. And then you can reach me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Tom Medima, or find our contact details on our homepage. Amazing. Tom, it was incredible learning about your founder story and, and kind of how you connected with your co-founder and are able to launch an, an incredible company that's really making the, the remote working environment and also extremely efficient. And 
I'm one that is not the biggest fan of meetings that are synchronous. And I, and I love thought of meeting up and, and connecting on way in, in way that really bit around our schedules and honestly, our circadian rhythm and, and things that naturally energize our body and, and mind. So it's incredible to talk to you, learn about your company, and I hope you enjoyed yourself on the podcast today. Yeah, it was great. Thanks a lot. Good.